Daddy Weaves coming, okay? That's what I'm talking about. I may just go see what he looks like. I've never heard of Big Daddy Weave, but I think it's so cool of a name. My grand, next grandchild, I'm going to say call him Big Daddy Weave. I love it, okay? All right. You come from an historically long line of Christians. And while pre-persecution seasons have always come and go in your nation or perhaps even in your family because you believe in Jesus Christ, there's a new threat. A new group has risen up. Their intention is to exterminate any religious group that does not accept their theology as skewed as their theology may be. You have a few options. You can stay and die. Your wives will be raped and your children will be beheaded and you will be killed. You can renounce, but blood-bought believers don't renounce. Or you can flee. You can go up on a barren mountain with nothing there to sustain your life. And so while you flee, you know that your family is going to starve to death or they'll be exposed to the elements and they're going to die anyway. And unless someone steps in, which seems to be not the trend today as quickly anyway as we'd like, the fact of the matter is death is certain. And death is waiting for you. And death is waiting for your family. Now, with that scenario, which is a very real scenario today, right? My question to you is, what's the most important thing in your life? You're convinced you're going to die. And in all probability, it's going to be a bad death. So what's the bottom line? Hmm? I want to suggest to you that the most important thing is not life, because you're going to die. I want to suggest to you that the most important thing is what happens when you die. Does it really happen, as I've been told, that upon death, believers in Jesus Christ go into the presence of God? Am I sure that I'm part of this family? How can I be sure that I have this question of eternal life or this question of faith downright? Does this heaven rest upon me, my efforts, my merits, my doing good? What, where does my assurance come from? Hmm? I'm not sure Jude is writing to folks that were that stressed, like the Yazidis, okay? But maybe so. But whether you're a Yazidi or a Christian in the Middle East or an American believer, the bottom line of life is the right kind of death, isn't it? The bottom line is what happens when you die. That's the situation to whom Jude 
is addressing. That's who he's writing to. Let me give you the conclusion to my message. It's back there somewhere in my notes, okay? There's a lot of things, gang, that we can be anxious about. We shouldn't be, I understand. The Word of God tells us, don't be anxious. Uh, but we know better. We want to be like Jesus and not be anxious. But I don't know about you. We are because of our humanity. And so there's a lot of things in life that we can find ourselves anxious about, right? But I hope today that when you leave here, there's one thing you won't be anxious about. And that is God's faithfulness to save you. And God's faithfulness to keep you saved. We call that security. And so the, the bottom line is, am I saved? How do I know that I am saved? And what that salvation means. You see, if the furnace is hot, and if, and if truth is being attacked, then assurance that you're right is critical. Assurance that you belong to God and heaven is ultimate is crucial. And yet a question always comes up, how does this salvation happen? Can I know that it's happened to me and that I am secure in it? That's what I want to address. Before Jude ever begins to tackle the storms that are coming to his readers, before he ever addresses the the, the struggles that they're going to face. Jude, under inspiration, knows he's got to deal with salvation truth. And I think, I just think he does it as good as any writer in the New Testament. That's debated, of course. I just think he does a, a great, great job with it, okay? Uh, you'll notice as you read Jude that he has a propensity for threes. He likes things in threes. You read it, it's amazing. He just likes threes. And yet, even in this triad that he gives us here, there's one main word, and then he strengthens this one main word with two words to modify, to strengthen the one word. Okay. Now, if you remember all the way back to your school days, which most of us are trying to forget, uh, there's grammar, from the grammar perspective, there's one verb and there's two participles that's going to strengthen the main affirmation or strengthen the verb, okay? I said to you last week that all three of these words, in my introduction last week, I said to you all of three of these words are passive. They are actions that lie outside the realm of human effort or achievement or merit. These are words that show the action of God on behalf of his people. So you don't do anything, and you don't merit anything, but if you're those whom God has set his affections on, you receive what God has done. Some of it's a little challenging, but it's biblical truth. It's all passive, not active. They're all three actions by God that he does on behalf of a believer, okay? Now, when someone acts upon you, the only thing you can do, you don't act, to get it because you're getting it. Does that make sense? The only thing you can do is receive it. For example, Don's been on vacation for a whole week, and I know while he was gone, he probably bought me a gift. 
And so Monday morning, when he comes into the office, he's going to bring me my vacation gift. Now, I didn't get that gift, and I didn't earn that gift, and probably Don says, you don't deserve the gift. In fact, there may not be a gift. But if, perchance, there's a gift, what do I do? The only thing I can do is reach out and receive it. That's what these three words, these are receiving words. You with me? Now, let me tell you what I'm going to do this morning. I want to define the words. And then I want to show you how Jude puts it together, okay? Because, gang, when the furnace gets hot, you got to know you're okay. And you got to know you're okay by someone greater than you who has the ability and the power to make you okay and keep you okay because down deep we all know we're not okay, don't we? In those quiet moments when it's just you and perhaps you're looking in a mirror or you're by yourself thinking and you're being honest down deep inside of you, you know what? You've got to admit there's something flawed here. There's something not right with me. There is this drive of sin. There's this depravity that keeps driving me. And if anything good is going to come out of me or anything good is going to to make me have a sense that I'm okay, it's got to be by someone bigger and greater, more loving, more powerful than me. It has to be God who secures me for eternity. Let's read together. Jude, and let's read the first... uh, Uh, two verses, okay? We did that last week, but let's do it again. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now, to those who are, here's our first word, called, okay? Now, it may challenge us a little bit, uh, uh, but that's okay. Uh, The idea of election is scary to us, but the bottom line is we want it to be so, because it takes pressure off of us. So just accept it, and let me deal with it, and um, uh, let it bless your heart to those who are called. Then he's going to strengthen this calling by this. Beloved, this is the participle, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. You with me on that? So the main affirmation is called, and then he's going to help us understand the calling by the love that comes in God and the security we have for Jesus Christ, okay? If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right, let's start. The word called, Jude says, to those who are called, okay? In fact, let me tell you something cool. In the original, the word called is last, and the reason uh, Jude put it last in that sentence is for emphasis. So in a sense, here's what he's saying. To those loved in, to those kept for, called. And I want to submit to you, gang, and suggest to you, gang, that while we may get confused and while we might feel tension from time to time, the fact of the matter is it's exciting to know that you've been called by God because I know I can't call myself. I'm depraved. I'm dead in my trespasses and sin. God's got to do something in me and for me if I have any hope to make right all the wrongs, okay? The word is used about 11 different forms, about 
11 times in the New Testament. And it's a word that means that God chooses. That's what it means. Okay, That's maybe challenging or confusing somewhat, but God chooses. Here's a good definition. God's gracious reaching out to bring the helpless, helpless sinners into a relationship with himself. God acts. Man receives God's actions. By the way, the way it's written, it's a decisive act. The way it's written in the grammar is that when it happens, it's decisive. He does it. You don't lose it and get it and have to go through the whole thing all over again. We have all these people getting rebaptized. I heard some about our church not long ago that, that baptized uh, like 100 people, and, and someone said, Yeah, but half of them had, was their second or third or fourth time. Why would you do that? See? When God saves, God secures. And this term called means that when He does it, He does it once. And once for all, it's a decisive act by God. Once upon the heart of a sinner, calling him into a relationship. Oh, dear people, what a high privilege we have to be called out of darkness to light, huh? And it's such a call, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, it is such a call that so changes your life that it affects everything in your life affects the way you think. It even affects how you sin. <laughs> because when you do sin, you feel like dirt. Because you've thrown a little dirt upon the glory of God. Gospel preachers should, we're supposed to, gospel teachers should, and they're supposed to, week by week, Send out the external call of God into the world. That man is a sinner in need of a redeemer. That because of your sin, you can't save yourself. You don't merit. You're not good enough. You need help. And God provided the help, the substitute, Jesus Christ. If you'll repent of sin and by faith, if you'll believe in Christ alone, God will, will forgive you of your sin and save your soul. That's the external common call of the gospel that we are to ring forth throughout all the world. And yet in God's ways and in God's time, there'll be some who respond to the internal call of God. I don't quite understand all that. I'm just glad I'm one of them. They respond to the internal call of God. They receive the gospel of grace and they're saved. Somehow, if you're saved, You've heard the voice of God speaking into the depths of your soul. Somehow speaking into the depths of your depravity. And he's convicted you of your sin. He's regenerated your heart. And he's pleased to call you to make you part of God's forever family, the, the faith family. And it's changed everything in your life. There's a drive that you never had to seek after him to follow after Him, to worship Him, and to serve Him, and to do your best to be godly and holy and righteous in this life. And it's all according to the sovereign grace of God because He is the actor and the believer is the receiver. And according to the way Jude writes this, a passive receiver 
not an active receiver, a passive receiver, according to the grace of God. Oh, dear people, the depths of the wonder that God would save us is beyond our full understanding. And I want to suggest to you, if you're a Yazidi on top of a mountain, or if you're living in the Middle East, or if you're in present-day America, when the furnace gets hot, assurance vital to you. Hmm? When you're being attacked, you want to know that you belong to him according to his grace. I love Charles Spurgeon. I don't agree, of course, with everything Charles Spurgeon says, just like you don't agree with everything I say, right? But I like Charles Spurgeon. I want you to listen to what he wrote. He said, I believe the doctrine of election because I am quite sure that if God had not chosen me, I should never have chosen him. And I am sure he chose me before I was born or else he would never have chosen me afterwards. What he meant by that is he would see my sin, okay? He must have elected me for reasons unknown to me, for I could never find any reason in myself why he should have looked upon me with special love. Oh, listen, we can, we can get confused on theology. I understand. Soteriology, sovereign grace. I understand all that. But let me tell you something, gang. The bottom line is, while I may not understand everything, the fact is I'm a believer today because of Christ. I belong to him because of him. Not because I've merited it. Not because I've achieved it. Not because there's some ladder that I've climbed. I belong to him because of him. And even though hell itself might throw its fiery demons against me, I can withstand the attack because it's not me. It's God that's protecting me. Oh, I tell you what I, I've never gotten over. I've never gotten over the fact that God would have me. How rich a thought, how humbling a thought that such as I would be included in His redeeming grace. Does it humble you to think that God's in His perfect plan of redemption included you? What's that song, Don? Yes, He Included me. Never heard it like that, have you? And I forget the rest of the words. I was going to sing the rest, but I forget it. Oh. <laughs> he. Should get chair sucker. He included me. And if you're a believer today, he included you. He saved you. And we're going to see that it's his responsibility to keep you saved. Now, before I move on, let me ask you something. What does a call always do to you? Hmm? What does a call always do? Well, let me give you an example. I, usually when I come in from work, uh, I come in and, and I start unloading my pockets. My wallet goes here and my keys go there and I just start dumping everything out of the pocket, you know. And one of the things I do is I take my cell phone. I don't see how the Apostle Paul made it without a cell phone, by the way. 
But I take my cell phone and I throw it down there too, and then I usually get me a cold glass of water or something like that. And I go in and I sit down, and I'll either look at the paper or something, rest a few moments, and invariably the phone will ring. There'll be a call coming in. What does a call do? Well, would it be okay to say that a call always interrupts your life? Is that fair? Sure. It doesn't make a difference what you're doing, you know. In fact, as a pastor, I, I could be out digging a ditch. And if a call, I could be mowing the yard. That makes more, better sense. And if a call comes, you know what the first thing I do? I turn off the lawnmower or I shut down the weed eater because a call has come in and it interrupts my life. Well, when the call of God comes into your life, you know what it does? It interrupts your life. Think about it, gang. We were head first into sin. Running at breakneck speed with our depravity to a hell that we were deserving of. And God called. And God interrupted us. And God injected himself into our life. There's a call that comes ringing forth, and we sang it. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. And he does, doesn't he? Now, here's the question. How do you know if you're called? I mean, do you have to be a Baptist? Well, it helps. <laughs> do you have to be a Southern Baptist? That really helps. Do I have to go to church every Sunday? Yeah. Do I have to tithe? Oh, yeah, baby. Do I have to leap tall buildings in a single bound? Do I have to not think of a, a, a bad thought or never say a, a wordy dirt? And all? Is that what helps me know that I'm called? No. Jude gives us two words here. Words that gives us assurance. And let me tell you, the way these words are written, that happens once, but it has abiding results. It's called perfect tense in the, in the original. It happens, but it has abiding results, which means that when God calls and you respond, and by faith and repentance, you trust Christ, okay? Then from that point on, these two words we're going to talk about for a few moments apply to you. Now, notice how he puts it. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father. And I addressed last week that some of you may have sanctified. The uh, older manuscripts have the word beloved, and that's the term we're going to dwell on. How do you know you're called? You are loved in God the Father. Now, gang, listen to me. Grab hold of this. It'll rock your world. Regardless of your past, regardless of your present, regardless of your future sins, when you're part of God's forever family, He sets His love on you, and He sets His love on you eternally. When I started, when, when my wife started having kids, and through the years of Rhonda growing and Jeff growing, I didn't always like what they did or the way they talked, but I always loved them. Doesn't a parent 
always love a child regardless of the how, how the child acts or responds or talks or whatever a child does. A mom and a dad always love their child. And this word means that when God sent his love and called you, he set his love on you. And there's never a moment that he did not love you. So regardless of the past, guess what? He loves you. Regardless of today, what you may do today, or tomorrow, what you may do tomorrow, guess what? If he's called you, he has set his love upon you. Now, he's not talking about self. Let me tell you where I think we're screwing up today. This self-love is destroying many a house and destroying many a life and destroying many a child. We're wrapped up in this self-love junk where it's about me and my happiness. That's the antithesis of this word. This isn't about self-love. This is God love. This is divine love. This is efficacious love. This is God loving his chosen people. And when I get caught up in this self-love, then I'm going to get caught up in the things I want, not necessarily the things that God wants. And it'll always break down on you. It'll always leave you hungry and lacking. Why do you think that so many people care nothing about church, care nothing about worshiping, care nothing about learning the Word of God? Because it's all about them. They, they don't understand, perhaps, what divine, efficacious love is all about. Gang, I'm going to tell you that God would call me and that God would love me somehow energizes me to try to be a little bit more the way God wants me to be. Imperfect, yeah, I understand all the imperfect. One thing I know is my imperfections. But there's something in me. That's why I said earlier, even in our sin, God's call changes us. Because before I liked my sin, now I hate my sin. One said it's his constant love for his people. Another said, and get your head around this, this challenged me. God loves me as much as he loves his son. Swallow that if you can. Mm. God loves me as much as he loves his son. So we're called, and the way we know we're called, first of all, is that we are loved in God the Father. You say, well, how does that happen? You know it. If you got it, you know it, huh? don't you? Isn't there just something that the Holy Spirit does within you to let you know that there's a Heavenly Father who just loves you, no, regardless of what happens? You just know He loves you. And if you don't know that, then you need to be saved. Because you see, the Holy Spirit does something inside of us when we're saved to give us his love. And if you don't think God loves you, then you probably don't know the Redeemer, you see. Then the next word, and I love this because this is important. Those poor people up on the mountain need to know this. Kept for Jesus Christ. Loved in God, kept for Jesus Christ. 
Regardless of the storms from many who threw out such hate against God's people, who want to kill you, maim you, cut off your head, cut off your children's head, you remember, not only does God love you, but God has the power to keep you secure. And I don't really think Jude's talking about life here, because if you study the history of Christendom, you know that there's been a lot of people martyred for the faith, right? A lot of people will be martyred for the faith. So I don't think he's talking about life at all. I think he's talking about eternal life. And the way, remember how he writes, salvation has abiding results. It abides through life, and it abides all the way throughout eternity. Divine love, divine power secures our eternity. Efficaciously loved, effectively kept, is security. No matter what's happening around you, no matter what's happening in the world. By the way, that word kept is not just to watch over. It's a word which means to stand guard over, like a, a guarding a, a precious treasure. We all have treasures, don't we? I, I, I see pictures of my little granddaughter and my little grandson, just blue, blonde-eyed, blue-headed kids, beautiful kids. And my son has them in a foreign land, and they travel some. And I, every, every time I talk to Jeff on Skype, I said, you keep up with my grandkids. You keep your eyes on my, you don't let them out of your sight, and, and when you go through an airport, you don't let them out of your hands, you see. You keep them. That's what this word means. It's a priceless treasure, cherished, so we are to God. It's that idea that led Martin Luther to write that song, a, a mighty fortress. That's what the word means. It's a fortress. It's a guarding around. Mighty fortress is our God. Okay? That's why Jude will add it there in, in these verses. May mercy, verse 2, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Because you see, when you're called, and you know you're called because you're loved and you're kept, there's mercy and there's peace and there's love, and it just comes flooding to you. It changes everything in your life. It changes your perspective. It changes how you even view life. Okay? Now, let me go to the conclusion, which I shared at the beginning. But let me do it again because I want to do it, okay? When a person knows he's called, and the calling is secured by God's love and God's power, he realizes that he's received God's mercy, peace, and love. So, therefore, life or death is no big thing. And like I said, I know that in this world there's a lot of things that we can be anxious about. But we should never be anxious about God's faithfulness, keeping us in the faith, because it's His responsibility. Aren't you glad to know that you don't have to keep yourself safe? Aren't you glad to know, dear people? I, I feel so sorry for some of the other denominations, man. They feel like they can lose. That's because they have a man-centered gospel. It's a man-centered idea of how to get it. I feel so sorry for them because if you have a man-centered way to get it, then there has to be a man-centered way to lose it. I don't want to live that way because if, if I lived that way, I'd be saved and lost probably four or five times. I'd have to get baptized six, seven times a week, you know. Uh, 
But it's all about God, you see. And so that's where the security comes. Remember the great doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, okay? Along the other side of that same coin, coin is the preservation of the saints, see? What do saints do? They persevere. You don't renounce the faith. Christians don't renounce the faith. They die for the faith. That's because on the other side of the same coin is the preservation. God preserves his own, you see. So we persevere, life or death, he preserves through all eternity. That's the Christian life. Jude had to deal with that before he could ever talk about the creepers that are creeping in unannounced. Before he could ever challenge them to contend for the faith, which will be our subject for next week. We're to be contenders for the faith. We can't be contenders until we know that all this other stuff's taken care of. And so when you know everything's been taken care of by God, and you're in his love, and you're in his security, then we can get our boxing gloves on. Then we can go out and contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to us. Does that make sense? Clear as a bell or clear as mud? That's what I thought, man. Amen. Well, that's it. That's all I got, too, okay? So, uh, uh, you want me to sing before we leave and go to Sunday school, or should we just kind of wrap this up and fellowship some? Huh? Well, let's pray together, and Barbara's going to come. I'm so glad Barbara's here. I didn't expect her today. Barbara had some, some, uh, some health things taken care of today, and she's, the doctor said she's 25 years old. So, man, Barbara will be good for the next 40, 50, 60 years, right? Whatever. Doesn't make a difference. We're still secure, aren't we? Amen. Let's pray. Barbara's going to play. If you need to come, Don and I'll help you. Father, I'm thankful. I don't understand all this, but we don't have to. I'm so glad you called me. I'm so glad I know in my heart you saved me and you love me. So glad, God, to know I don't have to keep myself saved. That's your responsibility. And it helps me. It helps me live the way I'm supposed to. And even when I don't live the way I'm supposed to, it still helps me get over it. Maybe today. Maybe today there's some just getting chewed up, eat up. Maybe these words of Jude might help a little bit. There's some that need to make a decision today. God, I just, uh, Lord, we want to give them that moment to do. For Jesus' sake.